This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Hi, everybody. Welcome into this edition of the Black and Blue Report brought to you by ABC Insurance Companies. Filling in today for Sean Kelly, I'm Jen Hale alongside the great John DeShazer, which of course makes my job extremely easy. JD, we're wrapping up day two of Saints training camp. It was a hot one, but a good one already. It's so much fun to watch the battles developing at several different positions. Uh, The defensive backfield is one I'm particularly interested in, seeing how a guy like, let's say, P.J. Williams looks. His career has been derailed for two years by injuries, and it seems like now we may finally get a look at what the Saints have in him. Yeah, um, he and Delvin Bro were the starters to begin last season, and unfortunately, neither one of those guys has an incumbency, so to speak, uh, or any kind of job security when it comes to starting on this team because they didn't play a lot last year. Delvin broke his leg in the first game. P.J. had a concussion in game two. P.J. didn't play the rest of the season. Delvin might have played four or five more games, but he was never quite the same. So those guys don't have – they don't just inherit starting positions. There's a lot of competition, and there are a lot of guys who can take those positions from them. Sterling Moore started most of last year for the Saints. He's back on this team. Ken Crawley started a lot of games. He's back on this team. Marshawn Lattimore, the consensus number one draft pick at cornerback, it was drafted by this team. He could take some some snaps away from them. So they've got a lot of competition. They've got a lot of guys who can fill in and play, which is what they need because if they go into a situation like last year and unfortunately someone gets injured, you need to have some quality depth or you need to have somebody who's already beaten them out so they can be the quality depth. Either way, uh, great competition at cornerback. Uh, Coach Sean Payton basically said today, you know, you don't, don't put anything in ink down at that position. Write it all in pencil because it could be transitional. Uh, last season we saw almost an entire defensive backfield who had never started a game going in as, as the first unit. It's going to be nice to have, hopefully, I don't want to jinx it, uh, a, a different scenario, have that be a position of strength this season. Yeah, I mean, those guys hadn't started together. The only guy who had started last year basically was was Kenny Vaccaro at safety. But those other guys hadn't played a whole lot. And, and now, you know, even, even now, you think back to last year, excuse me, Sterling Moore, who ended up starting a lot of games as we talked about, Sterling Moore basically was taken off the street maybe a week, week and a half before the season began, and he ends up starting almost every game at cornerback. Ken Crawley was an undrafted rookie who was thrown into the fire and had to play last year. So those guys got a lot of experience, a lot of baptism by fire, and you get back healthy Delvin and P.J. So it should be a much improved unit, but we won't know until they actually get out on the field and get into what they're doing defensively. Well, Saturday, tomorrow is the first day we will see the Saints in pads. No more pajama football, so to speak. What are you looking for tomorrow? Are there any particular groups or players that you have your eyes on? Well, Adrian Peterson, um, we spoke to him in the locker room, and he he's looking forward to it. He says basically when you're in, in uh, helmets and, and shorts, the advantage goes to the offense. You don't want to run through too aggressively. You don't want to dip a shoulder into a guy because you don't want to hurt him. But when you put the pads on, you want to go through there and establish that you're a physical presence too. And uh, I think I think Adrian Peterson's looking forward to administering as much contact as he is <laughs> going to take now. Will it be a full contact practice? It's not supposed to be. 
Usually it's supposed to be just studs, you know, keep a guy standing up. But I got a feeling we're going to see some guys on the field tomorrow. I got a feeling we're going to see some extreme contact because these guys have been kind of caged up for a long time. And once you put the pads on, the natural instinct for a football player, uh, especially the physical guys, the guys on the offensive and defensive lines and the running backs, is to hit somebody. They want to hit somebody. They're looking forward to it. So I want to see Adrian Peterson especially out there against the linebackers and defensive line. And you know he can't wait to prove he's ready to go at age 32. You mentioned the defensive line. The Saints have a, a big question mark there now that we know the unfortunate scenario for Nick Fairley that he will not play the rest of the season because of a heart condition. Uh, David Onyemata, perhaps um, Tyler Davidson. Who do you see stepping into Fairley's role, and, and do you think they can do it effectively? Well, I know I think David Onyemata and maybe Tyler might step into his starting position, but I don't know if they necessarily can fulfill his role. Now, Onyemata uh, extremely raw player last year as a rookie. He's only played organized football maybe four or five years, so he has a high ceiling. But can he do the things Nick Fairley did? Nick Fairley had six and a half sacks last year, and probably the best season of his NFL career. We know how disruptive he was at Auburn, and he looked a lot more like that player last season. Uh, so to not have him on that defensive line and the presence he gives you and the pressure he gives you on the interior it's a huge hole to fill because, you know, defensive coordinator Dennis Allen said, look, you can start with your pass rush in the middle. Basically, he was saying you don't have to have – well, you have to have pressure on the ends. You want to have pressure on the ends. But you can get just as much accomplished if you have pressure on the interior because you affect the quarterback. It can't step up. Um, maybe he's got to scramble around and can't set his feet, and that allows the defensive ends to be able to get to him. You've got to be able to get some of that out of Onyemata and out of Tyler Davidson and whoever else the Saints put in at defensive tackle. But Nick Fairley was really, really good at it. So somebody's got to hopefully supply some of that pressure and hopefully help Cam Jordan out on the defensive line. This would be a more fair question to ask you tomorrow after you get to see him in pads, but do you think Onyemata has developed, progressed since last season? Yeah, he, he made some plays last year. You could sense his presence. He'd, he'd get into the backfield. He'd be disruptive. Now he's got to you know pretty much learn to finish plays, but he is an extremely strong kid. I mean, they talked about it even when they drafted him, and you didn't really notice it or know it until you saw him put the pads on and get in actual game situations where you'd look up and David Onyemata Yamada was collapsing the pocket or he'd be in the backfield and you know maybe a half steps late in terms of getting a hit on the quarterback but he's back there applying pressure hopefully now he's had a chance to learn a little bit uh, learn some tricks of the trade uh, honed his technique and so maybe he'll be a little bit better at rushing the passer now. Of course, the conclusion of last season brought with it a, a big shakeup in the coaching staff. Bradford Banta is the new special teams coach, and he's bringing in some changes. He's got different drills, different terminology. The players are, are having to adjust to that. Do you think this unit will be improved over last season? Because it's a big area of need. Well, I think they'll be improved from a couple of standpoints. I think they'll be improved in terms of returning, especially with Ted Ginn Jr. returning punts and probably Alvin Kamara returning kickoffs because I think they'll be more daring in those areas uh, you had to have some changes unfortunately now I love Greg McMahon who was a special teams coordinator for several years here but his units unfortunately weren't getting it done to the set to the level that Sean Payton wanted it done and Bradford Bannon is hopefully going to rally his troops and get them a little bit more on par 
It's going to be exciting to watch. Tomorrow is also the first time fans can attend. If you have a ticket, you do have to sign up for tickets, although they're free, and all the tickets are taken for uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. But if you are one of the lucky ones that has those tickets, uh, a quick parking reminder, you cannot access the Saints practice facility from airline or from a leash. You're going to have to go around the back way. Uh, you can get all that information on NewOrleansSaints.com if you want to check out uh, the maps and the specific instructions. Keep it right here on the Black and Blue Report. Still to come, John DeShazer sits down with Dennis Lausha for an exclusive one-on-one. If you don't want to miss out on any of the action, get connected with your New Orleans Pelicans 24-7, 365. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter for exclusive prizes and giveaways. Plus text with all the latest breaking news right on your phone with Pelicans mobile alerts. Visit pelicans.com for information on these great features. Plus sign up for Pelicans Insider with weekly updates from the Pelicans. Join the conversation today. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Uh, John DeShazer here with Saints and Pelicans President Dennis Lausha. And, you know, we were already uh, a couple days into training camp, and uh, the enthusiasm is uh, very, very noticeable, uh, not just with the team, but also with the fans, obviously. And specifically, we're talking about this fan fest. And, Dennis, this thing is is really taking off. Um, We saw some previous years um, where Saints fans have obviously been extremely uh, pleased with their team and to see what they're doing, but this has really taken off this this ticket lottery, so to speak. Just you know, speak to that. Yeah, sure. Um, well, glad to be here. Um, you know, every year we kick off training camp, and every year we kick off the season. You know, you have you go through the summer, and you just absolutely can't wait for the football season to start. So this really is, you know, the first the first time we can connect with the fans and do something really fun. So this year. We said, you know what, we're coming back home to Metairie. Let's really, let's really blow it out. And so um, we said, how how can we do that? What would our fans like to see? And so we said, you know what, let's um, let's see if we can't close down the street in front of the uh, Saints facility down a, a lease, and um, and make it more like a block party. And um, you know, it's our first time back. We'll we'll put a lot more interactive stuff out there for the fans. We'll put some picnic areas, put some more vendors out there. We'll do we'll we'll do some more things. And by, by doing that, it won't be as tight as it is, um, you know, or as it was, rather, over the last couple of years when we were here. The, the primary thing we want to do is make sure that our fans have an enjoyable experience. You know, we get it's hot out there. We get it can be crowded out there. Uh, so we, we want to make sure everyone has a good time. So we made those changes, and I, I can tell you uh, the fan response has been outstanding. As you mentioned, we've had a number of uh, tickets are our number of sellouts, if you want to call it sellouts, uh, distribution outs, I guess is probably a better word to use. Um, you know, the first weekend is essentially sold out. The, the following Saturday is sold out. And, um, you know, some people are asking, why, why are you doing a ticket, a ticket um, system this year? And again, um, there's only so many um, people we can allow inside the gates, um, just from a comfort level, safety level, 
And, um, and, and so what we have to do is manage that, and that's all we want to do. We want to manage that. The last thing we ever want to do is shut a fan out who is coming here, perhaps with their children, coming here for the first time, whether they're locals or whether they're coming from the region or coming from anywhere in the country, and, and, and they can't come because it's too crowded. And so this ticket system is allowing us you know, to, to, to act as a reservation system, if you will, like when you make reservations to go to a restaurant. And, you know, we'll, we'll look at it at the end of training camp. If it's working and people like this method, we'll bring it back next year. If it doesn't work, we'll, we'll move on to something else. But uh, the goal here is just to make sure everyone has a good fan experience. Well, to see that three days of distributions are already filled up, it seems to say that it's working, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> number yeah. one. But, you know, the, the team obviously uh, at uh, the Greenbrier in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, for a couple of years. Uh, did you notice, I guess, and not to not knock White Sulphur Springs or the Greenbrier, but did you notice that fans were saying, you know, we, we really want our Saints home? We- oh, absolutely. And, look, I – I think uh, I think the as you know I think uh, the people in this building want to come home too. Um, you know, there's something to be said and there's something special about when you practice in front of your own fans. Um, you know, the players like it. Certainly, our staff enjoy it, and it's it's great for our our fans and our community to be here. I mean, this is you know, our our fans and community. I mean, this is their team, and they want to see their team. And believe me, we get it. Um, the only issue happens is when um, I don't want to say issue. The only the only thing you have to address though is you know there are different times and different strategies where you know the football side of the organization feels that it's in the best interest um, to to move and go somewhere else for you know whatever the dynamics may be at that time with the team. And so you know we try to manage that as best we we can. At the end of the day, I think everybody would love just you know staying here, but we certainly understand if we have to go on the road. And I, you know, I cannot say one bad thing about uh, the Greenbrier. The staff there were outstanding. The facilities were outstanding. You know, the owner there was outstanding. Everything about it was outstanding. If you had one negative, it was that you didn't have your fans out there participating in practice. And uh, again, uh, we won't have to worry about that this year. Now, also. Um couple of practices joint practices with the Houston Texans here uh, that's something that the Saints uh, will feed off of fans obviously uh, the team but the team benefits as much as anybody from those joint practices um, what has been your experience when you when you see that and I guess the level of enthusiasm just from the team because they seem to get a real kick out of working against somebody else besides each other no I you know I think uh, Sean has done an excellent job with uh, with practicing uh, against other teams in training camp or during the training camp period, because as you said, I mean you continue to bang up on the same guys across from you, you know, every day, um, it gets a little old. And so you know it's good to have a, a different look. I think it brings some enthusiasm to practice. It certainly brings enthusiasm to the fans who are who are watching um, who are watching um, the practice. And so um, you know it's as you know, the last couple of years we've had some great practices with some really class organizations. Um, you know, and that'll be a hot ticket, to be honest with you. It's it's neat to see other teams. It's neat to see not just the players. As I was explaining to someone the other day, I think it's kind of neat just to see how other teams operate and how they practice and what they may do differently than what we may do. And it's just it's just interesting to see that. And so for a, a true football fan, um, you know, it's something to see. I think it's something special, and, and you're going to want to be a part of it. Now, everyone already knows now about this partnership between the Saints and, and Oshner, but the Oshner Sports Performance Center. Just talk about the the genesis of it and, and why it's beneficial to both parties. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we share 
with Oshner is a commitment to the community in, in trying to make our community healthy and vibrant. And um, we've had a remarkable relationship with them over the over the years. Um, we've it's funny. Um, I guess as two good partners do, we continue to push each other um, to to be better in so many different ways as it relates to the community. And um, and and um, you know, we it's, it was a period in our relationship where we're looking at what we're going to do over the next uh, few years. And, and and our guys, Mike Stanfield and his crew, and Matt Webb and 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 David Gaines and his crew at Oshner got together and started saying, what can we really do for um, for both of our organizations? And one of the needs that I I hear constantly um, when I go out and give speeches and earn the community is, you know, I wish we had more places or to to um, teach football I wish we had more places to teach health of football health of basketball um, and there's so many programs that are out there that we participate in but one of the issues we've had in the past is just a place to do all this teaching and and all and, and show the various exercises and drills and, and whatnot and so we we want to make a conscious effort um, both us and both in Oshner as well to use our facility here our sports performance center now um, to to you know market it and use it more for the community and and um, you know that can be a challenge at time because you know at times because we have two professional sports organizations that are you know have long seasons but um, we think that we can um, accommodate um, their needs and accommodate the community's needs so we're looking forward to it yeah I think the community is pretty excited about it um, you know Warner Thomas from from Oshner was extremely excited about yeah. it as he spoke about it uh, on on Wednesday um, one of the guys one of the new players who will be using those facilities Rajah Rondo uh, for the Pelicans <laughs> a nice pickup uh, as a free agent for the Pelicans this offseason so now the Pelicans uh, have a, a fearsome foursome if you'd like uh, with Boogie Cousins Anthony Davis uh, Drew Holiday and now Rajon Rondo uh, playing point guard um, just your impressions of the Pelicans offseason uh, in general and R- Rajon Rondo in specific well I guess you know if I was gonna my impression is probably excited I mean, I really am excited about this basketball team. I'm really excited about the work that these guys are putting in over the summer. I'm really excited about, you know, the long-term commitment we made to Drew Holiday. And, I mean, I'm really excited about the Rondo acquisition as well. You know, those acquisitions and, and those negotiations particularly happen on the basketball side of the operations. But but I will tell you the one thing about there are whether it's football or basketball there seems to be certain pickups that we have that really sort of move the mark they get people excited that not only get the fans excited i think get the organization excited and get uh get the um his teammates excited and i will tell you he's one of those guys i mean everybody in the building's excited about his acquisition i think his teammates are excited about it and what we've seen is um our fans are very excited as well so um you know, we're doing a lot of uh, right now planning for next season, both on the business side and the basketball side. Uh, we we really expect it to be a, a really great season. We expect uh, some really good things, and, um, you know, um, we can't wait for the season to start. You know, we always say we can't wait for the season to start, but when, as you know, when it's uh, <laughs> when you're in the 81st game of the season, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, but uh, I can't, you know, as soon as the last, you play the last game, you can't wait for the next season to start, and uh, that's the way we are in this business. And, um, you know, football starting – when we start football, it means basketball right around the corner, so we can't wait. You know, you see both of these organizations operate, and not to say methodically, but 
you know, they don't sometimes rush in. And I think a lot of people mistake rushing for act for for actual action as opposed to the quality of what you do and when you do it. Is, is that something you see um, not only with the Rondo move, but what, with what you see with Mickey Loomis on, on the Saints side? No, absolutely. In fact, you bring up a good point because I was going to say I, we're not finished yet on the basketball side, I don't think. I think we're still looking for quality out there. I know uh, Dell is. I know Mickey is. Again, they want to bring um, the best players they can to our team. And, um, you know, uh, same with football. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Mickey's, Mickey's press conference yesterday, he discussed some of that. And, uh, you know, being patient with players and, 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 you know, having them at your team at the right time and when they're ripe for development. And, um, you know, I, I, I totally agree with that. I, you know, I, I think I, I, Mickey also mentioned, you know, but, you know, in many ways in this day and age, our fans are sort of impatient. You know, they, you know, the season ends and free agency starts and everyone expects, you know, to go out and, you know, get five players the first day. It's just not a reality, you know, and so you have to be, um, a bit patient and methodical and um, you know and at the end of the day um, you, you gotta do what's best for the team and, and um, hopefully we did that. Now um, after I guess we we finish here at the Oshner Sports Performance Center today I guess we can go across the street and some somewhere go to a bar and see if we can find a Dixie beer. Yeah um. <laughs> we, we sure can and not only not only can we do that we can uh, celebrate uh, GMB's uh, big uh, racing victory yesterday um tom's data won a race up in saratoga that really uh was very impressive and uh, ran away from the field and so we're really excited about that too so there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on right now from horse racing the football to basketball to dixie beer and uh we're really excited about dixie beer what got mr benson mr and mrs benson involved in the in the whole beer business yeah we um you know when we came back from Hurricane Katrina, Mr. Benson sat us down and said, hey, look, I'm not joking here. I'm serious. We have to do whatever we can to help rebuild this city and help sustain this city. And that's been our mantra. That's kind of been our mission statement from from the day we returned. It's important that we do what we can for the city. That means giving back to the community, both in charitable, um, on a charitable side, but also means giving back to the community and investing in our community, investing in people and investing in jobs. And so, you know, shortly after we returned, if you recall, we made some acquisitions. We bought Fox 8. We bought Benson Tower. Uh, well, it was Dominion Tower at the time. We, uh, we eventually bought the Pelicans. And, and the whole idea was let's look at perhaps some of these uh, undervalued assets and let's look at some areas where there's risk that uh, New Orleans may really lose something if they go away. And, and let's see if we can't help them and, and, you know, and make a commitment to put the right resources in and get the best people that we can and really try to turn around um, that asset. And um, we, we have been extraordinary, extraordinarily successful with that um, over the last couple of years. And so we have always I mean, we're always sort of looking at things that we can invest in. We joke around and you may have even seen you know, I saw it in the paper um, that long ago, the ain't there no more. Um, um, type of businesses and those were really those were the type of businesses that we've been looking at to be quite honest with you um, and uh, for a long time um, we talked to a lot of companies but starting about two years ago um, you know Dixie was always on the radar and we just didn't think that um, we had heard on the street and asked around and we had consistently heard that Dixie wasn't uh, in play and um, 
we had the opportunity uh, on another business deal, um, and uh, one of the participants in that deal had a relationship um, with the Brunos, and uh, we mentioned it to him, and he said, hey, I'll be more than happy to hook you guys up. And so uh, we invited the Brunos in, and the conversation began there, and we talked about some of the things that uh, the Brunos had did to, you know, save the, the brewery and, and save the beer and all the tough times that they had. And, you know, all they really wanted to do was to bring the Dixie back to New Orleans and employ people and get people back to work and, and bring Dixie back to where it was back in, you know, you know, a couple decades ago. And so we, we shared that same vision and we, we promised them that if, if they were allow us to invest uh, in the company, that we would um, not only invest up front, but we would invest the, the people and the personnel and the time and the effort to really make it a great, a great company again. And we both agreed that in order for it to be successful and in order, in order for it to complete both the mission and mantra that we had and the mission and mantra that they had, that it had to come back to new Orleans and it had to be built. The brewery had to be built in new Orleans. And so, so that's what we did, you know, and, and bringing Dixie back serves, you know, we call it around here, um, a double or triple bottom line. That's not just the profit bottom line, but it's the bottom line of what we're able to do for our community. And, you know, this, like I said, this will bring jobs. And then, and, and not only will it bring jobs, the other thing we're hoping it's going to do is have, hopefully, hopefully we can put it in an area where it can be a catalyst for redevelopment in a certain area of the town. So, you know, that, that was the purpose and the reason r- really why we're doing it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just something that we thought was important to do. And so um, the process has been going on for two years. We've, um, we've um, you know, gone back to the original recipe, the 1907 recipe. Um, and, you know, that had, the original recipe for Dixie had changed over the years. And it changed for numerous reasons, whether it was setbacks or inability or cost measure, cost cutting measures. Some of the ingredients were cut or time of lagering was cut. And so, you know, our commitment was we wanted to bring it back to the way it originally was uh, when it tasted great. So um, we began that process and we had to create a Dixie Light. We thought Dixie Light was important uh, for this community, particularly being um, a very um, hot com- community where people drink a lot of light beer. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, we built, uh, I said we built, we, um, our brewmaster, uh, um, formulated a, a new, a new product, a new Dixie light, which is by the way, getting absolutely rave reviews. I mean, people are really loving that, uh, particularly people who don't drink a lot of beer. It's got, uh, very, it's very low calorie and, uh, very low carbs, but it's got amazing taste. And, um, and then we also did the same thing with black and voodoo, which, um, over the years, some of the, the ingredients had been cut. So with these changes, um, quality of the beer was our number one priority. And, um, you know, some people have asked, why would you roll out Dixie beer at the start of training camp? It's a, a great, you know, marketing ploy, right? And we, we'd like to pat ourselves on the back and say we're marketing geniuses, but that's <laughs> that's not it at all. Uh, we, we rolled out the beer when the beer told us the beer was ready to be rolled out. And so, um, again, we've been tinkering with the formula um, for almost six, seven, eight months. We were hoping to have it rolled out by Mardi Gras. Um, but the beer wasn't ready, and we did not – you know, you only have one shot to uh, to to uh, to uh, have a rebirth of this beer. And so um, we had to do it right. And so, um, you know, it took time. Um but we feel we did it right, and uh, the feedback has been outstanding so far. Well, so. I will. I will 
make this sacrifice in the interest of science, <laughs> and I will go and experiment a little bit with both uh, the Dixie Light and the Dixie. Uh, and, uh, and the voodoo too we'll get you that you know the, the whole the whole idea of all these three beers is uh the whole profile is drinkability so uh, um you know the we say that these beers were the original craft beers in new orleans but particularly um the black and voodoo i think uh, it's very drinkable and um i think people really like it a lot and here's another thing too it's not over with um we have a test kitchen um and the test kitchen is uh I guess Tessbury is a better word, and the Tessbury is um, is is uh, our brewmasters working on a number of uh, different um, uh, different beers now, uh, some pale ales, and you know a whole litany of of, of different uh, beer um, um, categories. And so we'll, we'll see we'll see where we go, but we absolutely plan to roll out another beer, uh, probably you know in the winter time. Um, late late this year, uh, perhaps the beginning of next year. Um, so um, it's going to continue, um, and uh, we're excited. We hope it grows. Well, I raise my right hand high for the taste test team. You got it. I'll volunteer. Uh, well, we <laughs> 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 well, we we made this. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but uh, you know, there's different uh, different you know groups of people: Generation X, Generation Y. You know, and I think as far as baby boomers and Gen Xers, we we have enough of them already tasting the beer. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know <laughs> if you're young enough. The the, the younger to, group I that I went off one of the other people. <laughs> to get yeah, yeah, yeah. That, we were joking about that the other day. We, we were doing a taste testing, and everybody in the room was over. I think it was over about 30, 40 years old, 35, 40 years old. We said, wait a second, we, we have to uh, recalibrate here and go find some younger people. And, um, and we did, but, uh, you're more than welcome whenever you want to come. And, and, um, a little trivia here. Um, I think you're a West Banker, as I when I was uh, growing up. Uh, the Test Kitchen, I can't say where it is because it's supposed to be secret, but uh, it is on the West Bank. Uh-oh. So these beers were reborn on the West Bank. So uh, I'll, I'll steer you the right way, and you can go to our Test Kitchen and, and uh, drink responsibly. <laughs> yeah, they might get sick of seeing my face. <laughs> that's, uh, that's Saints and Pelicans President Dennis Lausche, whom we thank again for joining us here on the Black and Blue Report. Uh, has been a frequent visitor, and we really appreciate his time. Uh, I'm John DeShazer, and we will be back with the Black and Blue Report. Thank you. Everything you need to know about your New Orleans Pelicans is right in the palm of your hands. The New Orleans Pelicans app is easy to use, plus makes an excellent companion whether you're watching the team in the Smoothie King Center or on the road. Recently added features on the app include the latest videos and highlights, plus access to a full list of arena amenities. Download the Pelicans app for free now on your iPhone or Android devices. For more information, check out pelicans.com today. This is Anthony Davis, and you're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Great stuff, as always, from John DeShazer and Dennis Lausha. You know, we're so amped up about football season, but a lot of things going on on the basketball side of things as well. Pelican season also just around the corner. If you're checking out the Pelican social media, you've seen Anthony Davis working out with Quincy Pondexter, and of course, everyone is excited about the new additions to the team. Rajon Rondo, a true pass-first point guard, and our old friend Darius Miller. Jim Eichenhofer and Daniel Salerson break down the changes. 
All right, time to talk some Pelicans on this Friday. Of course, Saints training camp is uh, already in full swing here at the Auctioner Sports Performance Center. Joining me now to talk some Pelicans, Jim Eikenhofer from Pelicans.com. And Jim, first of all, hope your offseason has gone well. And uh, it, it's it's glad to talk some Pelicans back here on the Black and Blue Report. It's been good. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's been a ton of an offseason. It seems like there's constantly stuff going on. I think we got a little bit of a break maybe in May and part of June. But other than that, it's been pretty constant, especially July has been between summer league and everything else that's been going on. There's never a dull moment, never a day where you walk in and there isn't something major going on. It seems like whether it's here or throughout the league. Isn't it crazy now? Cause we talk about the NFL being a year round um, event as far as between the draft and the combine and the off season and the schedule release and all this stuff, training camp uh, OTAs. I can go through a list of stuff. It seems like basketball, the NBA, is getting to that point as well when you have the offseason that the NBA has had. Um, now we're talking about even Kyrie Irving and the rumors that have started there in Cleveland. Uh, it seems like now the NBA is going in the same direction the NFL is. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's been – I know people complained, including myself, about the playoffs, that they were boring and non-competitive, but this offseason has been incredible. I mean, from it seems like within days after the, the finals – between Cleveland and Golden State were over. There were already rumors or there were already trades that happened, and then draft night was the same way. It's been constant um, all the way through. So, yeah, it's – it's. I, I mean, I do think one of the biggest differences is that Summer League has become so much more prominent. I feel like when I first started going there, it was kind of a side note in the sports world. Now you turn on ESPN, you turn on other channels, and people are either talking about Summer League itself or talking about – things that are going on in the NBA during that time period, even if free agency was mostly done by then league-wide. So it's it's definitely taking over kind of the conversation. I feel like 10 years ago in mid-July, baseball was the thing people were talking about in the sports world. Mm -hmm. But now summer league basketball is more, is more talked about than, say, a key um, AL Central game mm -hmm. between two teams or whatever. Yeah. So... It's really amazing how basketball is has slowly and now rapidly. It seems like in the last couple of years, taking over July from other, every other sport or a crucial Braves Philly series in July. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> well, we'd have to go back a long ways to find a crucial Braves Philly series, but, Maybe but I, I get your point. <laughs> yeah, I get your point. Why is the summer league becoming so popular? Is it just um, the fact that uh, ESPN and NBA TV you can now watch? I think every game, whether it's yeah. on watch ESPN or that, mm -hmm. or is it just people are more excited to see these rookies that just get drafted. And now it's their first shot at seeing them go live. I do think that ESPN has played a major role in the prominence of summer league because from say, I think uh, Las Vegas summer league started in Oh four. I was, I was reading from say Oh four to maybe 2010. It made a huge jump. Then I think it kind of leveled off. There, it plateaued for a few years. It was still getting bigger and bigger. But it, to me, in the last two years when ESPN took over, whereas for a while it was just NBA TV doing every game and half the games were on tape delay because it, it logistically they couldn't show every game live. But when ESPN took over and now it's at the point where the vast majority of the games you can watch live, whether it's NBA TV or ESPN splitting the other games, um, it's gone way up in these last two years. And ESPN is just so much more invested in, in covering Summer League because they have a lot of the games themselves. And then this year, of course, the, the there's no way you could deny that the Alonzo ball factor was huge. Yeah. Um, and also another random thing, too, is 
um, people talk about whether it's good or bad that the, for the league that the Lakers have struggled, but the Lakers' struggles, I think, have helped Summer League a ton because you go to the Lakers games in the last few years and they always have a top three pick or a top five lottery pick. So you go to those games and they're, like, sold out. So um, I think all of this stuff has combined to make so, like this year was by was the biggest that's ever been, and, and like every Lakers game I think was close to sold out, and there were a lot of other games that were extremely well attended. Back when we first started going to summer league, there were games where there were 200, 300 people there. Now even a game like the Pelicans versus the Hawks, there was probably maybe a thousand five hundred people at that game. So yeah. it was it's it's grown so much, it's unbelievable. I remember seeing that Lakers Celtics game. I think it was the first game. Yeah, for both those teams and last game of the night in tough ticket uh, to come by there in Las Vegas. So you can definitely see the growth in summer league. That's for sure. Um, this offseason has been very interesting for the Pelicans and I think for the league in general. We talk about how there's been so many storylines throughout the league as far as free agency has gone. But I think it all started on draft night, as you mentioned, I think uh, primarily with the Jimmy Butler trade going to Minnesota kind of shook up the West a little bit. And then after that, uh, boy, the uh, the Western Conference is going to be a tough challenge for uh, not only the Pelicans, but for the other 14 teams in it. Yeah, I think a lot of people in the league, especially people in the West, like this team is here, are, are saying, how can this keep getting more you know, unbalanced to where the West keeps getting better and a lot of the best players in the league are, have gone from East to West? You would think... At some point, it would go the other way. I know that there was there were a couple moves like Gordon Hayward went from west to east, but for the most part, it does seem like it's getting harder every year, which doesn't even seem possible. If you go back a few years, the west was already so much tougher than the east, but it's it's not getting any easier based on the the player movement that's been going on lately. Yeah, with Paul George going to Oklahoma City, you had Paul Millsap going to Denver, Chris Paul going to the Rockets in a trade. Did any one of those moves surprise you? Has there been one that you were like, wow, I did not see coming? I think, to me, the biggest one of the ones that you mentioned was the Paul George going to Oklahoma City one for a few reasons. One, it, it wasn't rumored at all, which is funny because with as much media coverage as there is of the NBA now, it seems like there's very rarely a time where you see something that comes out of nowhere. Um, the DeMarcus Cousins trade was actually maybe one example of that where we didn't see that coming and not many people did. But that one, and also just the haul that um, the Pacers got, I think, in that trade was surprising to a lot of people that people thought when you trade Paul George you're going to get a couple young guys, a couple future picks, maybe an established guy who's at a higher level, no offense to Oladipo or Sabonis, but you know neither of those guys are, are you know even like all-star candidates. So... That that was probably to me the biggest surprising move of all of them that they ended up with that Oklahoma City ended up with Paul George because I don't think anyone even had them listed as a contender as somebody that had a chance to get them. So let's talk about the Pelicans and where they stand now in this Western Conference. It's kind of hard to tell. Of course, we haven't played a game yet on paper wise. I feel like there's a few teams at the top: the Golden States, San Antonio's, the Houston Rockets. Mm-hmm. There's sort of a middle tier there that I feel like we're getting upon Oklahoma City, yeah. Minnesota. Uh, where, where are the Pelicans now as far as the tiers here in the Western Conference? I feel like there's going to be a lot of teams battling for a few number of playoff spots. If I think there's a little disagreement of, in terms of, I would say the consensus, and I, it depends, of course, of, of what you look at, but to me the consensus is that OKC is on that top tier with the other three mm-hmm. teams. OKC might be exactly four, but I think... 
there, I think there are a lot of teams in the West, and maybe the Pelicans are in this this discussion as well, that could reasonably say a five seed is a is a is a goal that we should shoot for, and something that we could look at as a possibility. Um, obviously, I'm not saying that you don't want to try to go even higher than that, but um, the one one thing that's interesting with the West is the way that's shaken up is that, um, yeah, there as we just talked about, there's a bunch of guys that went West and made the West stronger overall, but there was also a few teams that lost some key guys like Utah lost Gordon Hayward, the Clippers lost Chris Paul. So in general, I'm not necessarily going by what I think as far as much as I am what the consensus nationally is, um, that some of those teams have been weakened. So there might be more of an opportunity, um, even though it's a tall order, obviously a lot of people would agree with this, to get up to the level of Golden State or the Spurs or or Houston. But maybe there is an opportunity more so than there has been in the past to move up a couple of rungs into that middle part of the West playoff seeding. So um, I think that's kind of the way I look at it right now. But I think beyond the top four teams, there's not a ton of agreement I, maybe maybe in general, I don't know, you could tell me what you think. Maybe in general people think Minnesota's has yep. the best chance for fifth. But after that, from six to, say, ten, I think there's a big jumble in opinions and a big disagreement over who's going to f- be where. Is it fair to say the reason why the Pelicans, to some people, are maybe not as higher up as some would like is just for the fact that they don't know as far as Cousins, Davis, and Holiday. Their sample size is very small sure. from last year that – they haven't had a training camp together. They haven't worked together as much that mm-hmm. they really don't know what to expect yet with these three guys. We got a little bit a taste of it, but then at the end of the season with the injuries um, and those guys sitting out, I don't think we got a, a big as big of a taste as we would have liked to of Cousins and Davis together. I think it's a combination of things. I think one of them is, like you said, there's not a big enough sample size of games that you can um, go by, and I think that's a big reason why the range for the Pelicans is so wide. There's people that think that everything could fall into place and this team could be really good and there's everybody there's people who think that you know nothing could break right and it won't be that much better than last year so compared to some of the other teams i think this team the pelicans are are a lot more unpredictable um another factor is just track record wise people look at if if you look at predictions and you say hey i don't like where the pelicans are ranked on this list they should be higher i think some the second factor to me is People look at Memphis, a team that's made the playoffs seven years in a row. People look at Portland, lost their whole starting lineup a couple of years ago, still made the playoffs, has made it a bunch of years in a row since with Lillard there. Um, so track record is a thing that hurts the mm-hmm. Pelicans, I think, a lot in terms of predictions, that people want to see it before they believe it. They they have People in general have more faith in some of these teams that they've seen, like I said, the Grizzlies, who've been there year and year, year after year after year. They be, they ha, they'll predict them higher than they will the Pelicans because they want to they want to see it first before they believe it. And to me, the third factor is in terms of off people. And Minnesota is a classic example of this. People weigh off season moves greatly in their predictions. They want to pick teams that made a bunch of moves higher than the teams that didn't maybe do anything. Even if the teams that didn't make any moves like Portland are still really good, yep. are still going to be contenders for six seven eight so i think that's another reason why when we hear from fans all the time like pelicans are too low in these power rankings or oh that's crazy that they're picked eighth or ninth or whatever but um i do think that the as you get closer to the season and people look at the bigger picture more you you you, and things kind of settle down a little bit 
it you, you get a different perspective than you do immediately after free agency right. when people are saying Minnesota made all these moves, so therefore they're yeah. the fifth best team in the West. It, it's also what you're seems like you're saying is it's also very early as far as trying For to sure. determine all this stuff. I remember a couple of years ago after the Pelicans made the playoffs, new coach now Gentry, same core. A lot of people had us four or five range, mm-hmm. a lot of nationally televised games. I feel like that went to the same thing with Minnesota last year. They were drastically improving based on who they acquired in the offseason. A young team got a lot of, you know, a lot of recognition yep. and then struggled a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's something that I think we got to hold off a little bit as far as immediately trying to crown our playoff teams one through eight and, and seed them wise. But um, let's go to the Pelicans as far as what they've done in this offseason so far. Obviously, the big big storyline, Drew Holiday resigning with the Pelicans. Nice to see him back in a Pelicans uniform. But then also the big the other one is uh, Rajon Rondo heading to New Orleans. So now that we have both those guys official, signed, sealed, and delivered, um, what do you make of both of those moves, and how do those two fit with each other and the other pieces that the Pelicans have? I mean, to me, part of, to, to back up a little bit for a second, to me when we, you know, we read a lot of the national perspectives on, um, the Rondo signing and yeah. people's um, take on how it's going to affect Drew Holiday. To me, to back up a little bit, I think I don't think a lot of people were paying attention in March last season because the team was either out of the race or kind of on the fringe and maybe four games out of eighth or whatever. So, but I, I don't think people realize how how well the situation worked. Where when Tim Frazier was here, he was point guard. He started at point guard, and Drew slid over to the two. And it seemed like there was a stretch of a few weeks there where where everything worked really well. They had an eight and three. This didn't cover this entire stretch, but they were eight and three for part of March, and that was to me the best they looked all season, regardless of the combination of players. That was the best this team played. Um, so I think that may have been part of the thinking of of you move Drew over to the two. It seems like based on some of the rumors that we heard that 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 was there was a push to get a a. a point guard in to pair with Drew so um that's one of my initial kind of takeaways from what they've done is just that it seemed like it there it was very beneficial to move him to shooting guard and have another guy who was on the ball um Rondo is one of the you know from talking to people here and talking to people around the league including people from Boston one of the smartest players in the league um obviously a true point guard people talk about his shooting but really that's not his role his role is to set people up and get other guys good shots so to me if you're look if you want to be optimistic you say you just added one of the best passers in the league a guy who's led the NBA in assists multiple years and you have three other scorers who can all you know uh, AD and Cousins are two of the top 10 scorers in the NBA by any measurement over the last bunch of years Drew's a guy that can average you know high teens you know close to 20 so now you have a point guard that can hopefully put all these guys in the best position possible. Hopefully your your efficiency will go up. You'll have higher percentages from everybody across the board because the quality of shots they get will improve. So to me that that is what 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 you look for as far as why why his, his that move was made and why it could be really helpful when the season starts. This Pelicans team I think improved drastically as far as defensively last year uh moving up into the top 10 I believe as far as mm-hmm. defensive efficiency. Adding Rondo, moving Drew over along with Solomon Hill, who's a very good defender in the wing, and having Davis and Cousins, how does that change the Pelicans defensively moving forward? One of the things that Darren Ehrman talked about when I spoke with him 
recently that I thought was really a good point and really interesting was that even though the Pelicans jumped a ton on defense, like you said last year, I think it was 26th the year before up to ninth in efficiency last season. Um, he wants them to go – Darren Ehrman wants them to go from good to great, which he considers ninth to be good, but he wants to make another um, big step forward in that area. And one of the things that he said about Rondo was that Rondo is a very good communicator on defense. I think it's one of the things that the guys that were in Boston in the previous decade <clears throat> emphasized a ton was talking on defense. And um, that's one thing that he thinks that – Ehrman thinks that Rondo is going to be able to bring here is to get guys to even be more communicative and he that was another area that Ehrman said he thought we were pretty good on in communication wise last last season but we can we need to get to great so um I think that's one area that Rondo will help in also he's a he's one he he's always had great anticipation on defense Rondo and I think that's one of the reasons why he gets so many steals and he's been one of the best guys in the league in in that category that he's just you know been disruptive he knows other teams plays and and that that's helped him a lot so those are some of the things I think that he'll be able to bring to the defense. You wrote a great article on Pelicans.com, and it's been blasted all over the place, ESPN.com, everywhere, about DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis training a lot together and playing with each other, trying to gel, moving into next season. We saw a lot of great things from Cousins and Davis in the short amount of time they played. But what else can they improve on? What do you think some of these things that they are working on now, um, what are some of those things that maybe you might see more of this year? I think in general it was, it, it's been about trying to figure out how to complement each other offensively, how to not, I don't know if getting in their, in each other's way is the right way to put it, but <clears throat> figuring out how can we, how can we play off of each other? How can we um, make it so that, you know, what I do well in this area benefits the other guy in a different area, whether it's, you know, AD mid range game, spacing the floor, shooting jumpers gives DeMarcus more space under the basket or even we saw a lot of interchange between them during games last season where it was mostly DeMarcus passing to AD. Um, we went, th we actually went through a video thing that f for every assist between the two guys, and there were a bunch of them from DeMarcus to AD that a couple of them were highlight real plays. So um, I think it's, that's, I think that's probably the biggest part of it is just getting even more familiar with each other, even though they're, they're good friends. I don't think, the way that AD described it, they hadn't played a ton together other than a couple random pickup games in in Kentucky and, and that kind of thing. So it just just getting more time on the floor together and learning each other's games to a greater extent, I think. How scary could the pick and rolls be with Davis and Cousins running them? Yeah, very, <laughs> very much. I mean, the fact that both of those guys can shoot as well as they can outside and that you can't just lay off of one of them. And um, it, it was fun watching some of the plays – last season where Cousins would just throw it up, just kind of a scoop one-handed alley pay AD, just go up and get this, and just some of the plays that he, that they came up with, including the one, I think it was like a 180 um, in the air that AD did that turned into an alley dunk. So they, in a short amount of time, they came up with a lot of stuff that was just made was fun to watch and made people go crazy in the Smoothie King Center last year. So, yeah, I think people are looking forward to more of that this year. Let me ask you a question. This kind of goes along with the question. AD and DeMarcus, where do they finish as far as scoring in the top 10 or 15 last year? Are they both in the top 10 as I far think as? They, I think they both were in the top 10, yeah. I think Cousins' um, stat scoring went down a little bit just because he, not when he came here, he wasn't the number one guy like, the way he was in Sacramento, but he still averaged 
over 20-something a game. I, I want to say they finished maybe five, fifth and eighth or something yeah. like that in the scoring. So I'm going with that is, you know, a lot of people – I know it takes more than two people, obviously, to succeed on a team, but how many other teams can say they have two of the top ten scores in the league? There's, yeah, I not – yeah, that might might be the only one. I'd have to look that right. up, actually, but yeah. I, don't. I was just more of a you know generic statement as yeah. far as you know a lot of people are, you know, everyone wants to put the Pelicans in a certain place, and we, we don't know how the Pelicans are going to do. I right. think it's going to take some time, um, but they're going to have a training camp and all this time together. Uh, but the fact that you do have two of the top ten scores in the league and not a lot of teams have that, there might be a couple that I can count off the top of my head. Right. should be pretty interesting for the Pelicans. Now I'm kind of ready for – the season's starting. I think we have a couple more months here until training camp. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, there's a there's only a couple teams that I, I'd have to really look at it. But, I mean, I think what you saw last year, more of the model around the NBA is situations like OKC where you have Westbrook and then you have a big drop-off to number two, or Houston where you have Harden and then you have a pretty decent drop-off to whoever the second scorer there was average-wise. So, yeah, it's it's definitely unique to have two guys that that you're counting on to – put up the numbers that those two might be able to put up this might not be a fair question but let me ask this before we go so is it gonna be how which one's gonna be more important as far as heading into the season how davis cousins and maybe holiday and those guys click right away or the role players and how much they're gonna have to contribute in order for this team to succeed or is this is it even i i think it's even it might be hard to say um but i mean to me there's no doubt that you there's there's a there's a bunch of different X factors that we could probably get into as the season gets closer with the rest of the roster, but things that you hope fall into place. And if they, you know, you don't know the answer, but if, if it turns into a positive, your chances of being a better team go way up. Of course, I think how some of the main guys click together is important, but I also think that within reason, we know what AD is going to do. We know how good he is. We know how good cousins is. He's been on three. He's a three-time all-star as well as some of the other guys, when they have the track record they have, they've done as well as they have in the NBA, I don't necessarily worry as much about that. To me, what it might swing the 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 winning and losing of the team more is what you get from the fifth spot through the eighth or ninth spot. So those are all things that we'll maybe be able to pinpoint more as we get closer to training camp. And, of course, we'll have more conversations throughout this offseason heading into training camp in late September, but – we want to get a start on the Pelicans talk here as the Black and Blue Report is back and uh, and ready to go here. Jim, I can offer Pelicans.com. Of course, check out his work on Pelicans.com and mobile app. A really good article on AD and DeMarcus Cousins up for your reading pleasure. Jim, as always, I appreciate it. I know we went a little long here, but it was good to get some Pelicans talk here yeah, It's today. been a while. I think we, we can have have the freedom to, to talk a little longer. We could probably be here for even longer amount of time but that, that was good to cover the bases heading into uh, late July I apologize to JD I know he's wanting to talk Saints more from them Saints training camp coming up next if you don't want to miss out on any of the action get connected with your New Orleans Pelicans 24-7 365 like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter for exclusive prizes and giveaways plus text with all the latest breaking news right on your phone with Pelicans mobile alerts Visit pelicans.com for information on these great features. Plus, sign up for Pelicans Insider with weekly updates from the Pelicans. Join the conversation today. Follow us on Twitter at Black Blue Report. 
Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us for this edition of the Black and Blue Report. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. And don't forget, a new edition of the Black and Blue Report coming at you Monday with Sean Kelly and John DeShazer. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report, presented by ABC Insurance Agencies. A better choice for insurance. If all goes well, we'll be back next week. Tune in each weekday at Moon Central or at your convenience exclusively online at pelicans.com and neworleansaints.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.